Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Damian Parson and Blake Murphy. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, you can hear from the new intro. Uh, it's going to be kind of a special show for us here. We're finally coming back off of hiatus. Cardinals camp is in full swing. Um, we've even gotten past the red-white practice, gotten past a lot of crazy things in this NFL offseason. Uh, I am Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. I'm joined here with uh, my co-host as kind of a special announcement, uh, bringing on a new but yet familiar face. We've got Damian Parson uh, of RevengeOfTheBirds.com as well as of the Draft Network. And uh, you've got another podcast you know, that you host as well, I know as well, Damian, um, but uh we're just excited to announce kind of he's going to be the co-host for the upcoming season. Super excited to have him on board and uh, grateful I don't have to talk to myself at least anymore, Damian. So glad to have you on. No, nah, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here, man. It's going to be a fun season. Um, you know, football typically, you know, once you get through the draft and the schedule release and everything is like, man, it's like that long waiting period, right? Like, but you got NBA to keep, you know, playoffs and, you know, MLB and some other sports to keep you, uh, keep you preoccupied for a bit. But now like we're, we're in the home stretch. We got a couple more weeks and then we have kickoff. So I'm excited, man. It's going to be a fun season. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to everything, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to look at the other uh, show that Damien hosts, it's going to be The Talent Factor. You can find that on Apple Podcasts and other podcasts all through the Draft Network. Uh, super excited to bring on someone who's got his scouting eye, who's been able to you know, be out kind of in a lot of the field with what the Draft Network is doing to be able to, you know, not just scouting college prospects, but uh, just being able to talk football in general and uh, focusing on the Cardinals who, uh, let's just go and get into it. It has been in a lot of ways, nowhere near the 20 2018 Cardinals offseason as far as craziness from losing players, shifting guys around, new coaches, but it's been crazier for a lot of other reasons. Like we can talk a little bit high level here. Um, just the Kyler Murray extension it had as many speed bumps and as much drama as, you know, an HBO show like Game of Thrones, whatever something. You can talk about how Rodney Hudson seemingly came back from what a lot of people assumed was retirement uh, after holding out and being unexcused as far as an absence could talk about Hollywood Brown. Uh, we knew that he was fast. We didn't know he was 126 miles an hour on the Southbound 101 because he's <sighs> heading to practice late fast, getting uh, arrested for criminal speeding. And that's not even to go over just 
the entire rest of what we've seen with the Cardinals currently having a coach that's on the kind of suspended list that they have from an incident that happened all the way back in May that we're just finding out now about. It still feels that like the number one story that I see at least has been that Kyler Murray extension clause. That has been something that has carried through for the most part. So, Damian, there's been a lot of issues I think you can say that the Cardinals have had. I know they're grateful to get into the season, but first thing I think I ask you is what the heck do you think has been going on? Is this lack of leadership? Has this been more of just a series of every time the Cardinals seem to have had something going right, just something has happened to pop up at the wrong time. And is a lot of this stuff going to be ironed out when we get to the season? Man, like to me, it speaks volumes about the culture, in my opinion. And just the way this offseason has unfolded, there have been distraction on every corner at every turn for this team. Like, like you said, Hey, we, you know, Kyle Murray, you know, his team about the contract which is warranted. This young man came in and has really helped turn this program around, this, this organization around, and get them on a winning path and a winning track. And it's like, hey, you know, I want to get paid, you know, and rightfully so. So then when you pay him, you put in this clause telling him that he has to independently study for four hours, knowing that other people like Ian Rappaport and Rap Sheet uh, and, um, and uh, Adam Schefter and those other these other reporters – even the NFL Network reporters state, like, Gene Slater and all those, like, we see this. Like, all of us have the ability to see these contracts. So it's like, you think someone is just going to look over that and not talk about it? No. Like, so it's like, okay, that was kind of odd to put into the contract. So it's like, while you paid your quarterback, people are mad at how much you paid them because it's like, oh, man, he hasn't won a playoff game. It's like, didn't you put, you couple that with the clause? And it was like, I know, I feel, I understand why Kyler Murray was pissed off at, you know, about everything. It was like, I can't win for losing, you know? And it's just like, so everywhere, everywhere that this team has turned has been some type of issue. The Marquise Brown thing. Like, I get it, bro. You're late to practice. Hey, man, call coach. Hey, coach, I'm running late, but I'm not going to speed and break the law. Like, you know, because that's an even worse situation. Coach, I, hey, just let you know something happened. I'm on my way. If I got to right. run a few gassers, if I got to take a lap around the around the field, whatever, like, that's fine. If I got to do up-downs, I'll do what I have to do when I get there. I'm just wanting to call accountability, right? And it, it, for me, it's like, yes, you are a professional athlete, and this isn't the quote-unquote normal job, Blake, but if you're, go, if you're working in the office, which I think all of us have at some point in our lives, and it's like, oh, man, I woke up late. My alarm didn't go off or I didn't feel great getting up. Like, let me call my boss and say, hey, I'm coming in. I'm just running a little late. Wasn't feeling well. Just want to let you know what's going on. And from a boss standpoint, a supervisor standpoint or whatever, a leadership standpoint, it's like, okay, that's accountability. They just called and let me know. So I'm not sitting here wondering, where are you? And then when you get pulled over, that makes you more late, Marquis. So it's like, you know what I mean? It makes the situation even worse. <sighs> So it's like, yeah, it, for me, I think it puts a lot of pressure on the team to go out and win, right? If they if they replicate their start last year or somewhat of that start, especially with D, then of course the D Hop thing being suspended six games. So it's like, you go out and say in that six games you're four and two. Some of those all the negative storylines and talk, Blake, they're a little quiet. They're a little quiet because the team's winning. You know that old saying, uh, "Winning cures all." Mm. So it's like. The team, the team definitely has some pressure to go out early and win. You go out against Kansas City and get blown out week one. Yeah, these storylines are going to write themselves, guys. 
Absolutely. No, and I think as far as with Hollywood Brown, like we always would have, a, I remember I even had a practice that I went to as a game day, if I remember correctly, that I showed up to like an hour late from the four hours I needed to be at. And that was because I didn't have the right color shoes, left the right shoes at home, was trying to find a shoe store, trying to find it. Eventually someone kind of brought those shoes to me and they basically said, hey, for level of accountability for all of that, it's like, you know, question was, would I rather be, you know, 30 minutes late or be there the whole time with the wrong shoes? And it was a spot where essentially they said, hey, we're putting this on the department heads, not as much as you. That person needs to make sure they're checking in or the day ever that they know what's going on with you. Um, with Hollywood, it's a question of, hey, you know, you might be 30 minutes late to practice. Instead, you compound and make a bad situation where it's being one less day of practice. I, I think ultimately than we've seen with the past couple of years, some of it is Guys getting used to Arizona. We saw last year Zayvon Collins gets pulled over going at least 20 miles over the speed limit on Shea Boulevard. And Arizona, they usually pull you for going about 10 or 11 over is what we found out for the most part. And when it's, you know, 7.30 a.m., even if it's on like a Saturday or so, they're going to be aware. They'll be able to see you. It's something I think at least will probably not result in a suspension for Hollywood. At least we would have seen that handed down by now. We'd have seen the team hand it down by now. But like you said, it does seem that from a high level that the Cardinals front office, the Cardinals ownership, even the coaching staff, they're just not seemingly on the same page. And so this is kind of one of the avenues of needing to kind of grasp and pull together over the next few weeks will be something to talk about. Um, and at least something that we can review. Uh, I want to at least talk a little bit about the Kyler Murray extension and more about why that was put in, some of the failures to it. I think that one of the things that I think can't be overstated is how not only did that New York Times article, I think that he put out and said that he doesn't kill himself watching film because he's talented. I think that one of the areas as far as perception goes is that whenever there's someone who will maybe reveal an insight into truth about themselves versus maybe say preaching the company line, sometimes that can be taken negatively or emphasized. It would be like a spot of, yeah, you know, I spent time writing articles, but I'm so quick at writing articles, you know, I don't grind it out as much. Well, you know, there's some players need to grind it out. Some don't as much because they're athletic freaks, but it's never a good look for a quarterback to be saying that they watch less film or even regard themselves as saying that they watch it less film. Maybe that was taken a little bit farther out of context by some media than other people would have been, especially, I think, when you look at the way that people reacted and responded. Uh, the first thing that stuck out to me was that the day of when that contract information got released, it was reported from um, both kind of the Arizona Sports Insider, John Gambador, as well as uh, Kyle Odegaard, who previously wrote for the team, still has a lot of contacts, said that Michael Bidwell was the one who put it in. Cardinals general manager Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury um, quote was like that they begged him not to put in. Maybe it wasn't begging, but strongly suggested to not put that clause in. I think that that is a real big demonstrator because imagine that a clause is in there that's so bad that the GM and the head coach who work for you are just pinning it onto you right away. Like It's not like that they're like, oh, we're all take it together. It's just like, nope, that's on him. That, that's not a good look if you're just saying oh, that's my boss's fault. But they knew that it was a worse look for that to be attached to them. The fact that I think that they said that they didn't want to put that clause in the contract to me really I think indicates that I don't know if it's as much a lack of preparation on Kyler Murray's um, part as people are speculating because, you know, as Cliff Kingsbury has said, he says, oh, I don't look at the film or chart that, but Cliff is a guy who knows his stuff and will be able to easily look at that iPad, see if his quarterback's putting the work in. He's working with his quarterback 
every single day. Uh, if he'd wanted that clause to be in, I think he would have heard a little more silence from that if there was some tension or issues. The fact of the matter is, though, that this really just took a positive for the Cardinals of signing like their first young quarterback to a big contract extension, and immediately it turned it into what looks to be a dumpster fire type of reaction from around the NFL. What are some of your thoughts, at least, with maybe not just the extension if there was a need to put it in, but just for where the Cardinals are as far as that they feel like that they're signing this quarterback to a big deal. The owner still felt that he needed to put that into the deal. Maybe he's a little bit of his father putting it into the deal. We all know Bid, Bid, Bill Bidwell was a bit cheaper. Uh, what were your thoughts when you first saw that news break and see it from what the Cardinals were doing? So when I, I was at uh, the ACC media kickoff, um, sitting, listening to coaches from the ACC and their players come up on stage, and then I checked, I had Twitter pulled up and I saw it come across the timeline, and I was like, "All right, there we go." Like, because that's a positive, right? It was a, it was a, a tough situation when you think about okay, Kyler Murray wants to get paid. You definitely don't want to go into the regular season with an unhappy quarterback. You're your quintessential leader of your offense and your team, typically. So, like, I was happy to see it got done. I saw the money and how much it was. I was like, oh, it was fine. Like, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it's all about timing. Because Lamar Jackson's sitting there waiting, and he's being strategic about his. Like, yeah, I could have signed a deal a long time ago, but at this point, I probably would have been the sixth or seventh highest-paid quarterback if I did. Right. Instead, i go ahead and, and, and wait. And, you know, and stuff like that. Kyler Murray gets paid 46.1 per year, and he gets to go to the Ravens and say, hey, I want my 50-52, you know, because I'm a former, I'm an MVP. I got a playoff win, all those things. So I was happy to see he got paid. And then when I saw the clause, like I said, it was just really kind of uh, the win out of the sales. Like, man, like, this isn't good. Like, this isn't what you want to have happen when you just – because especially from a, a, a kind standpoint – Majority of the picks that you've made since taking over in 2013, majority of them have not signed a second contract with the team. And for granted, this was a I'm not I'm not gonna discredit him and say this wasn't, you know, you know I'm not gonna give him any love for it. But you had the number one overall pick and he was the best player in the draft, best player, especially at the most important position where you wanted to improve. So it was kind of a home, it was kind of like an easy home run, right? Like it's literally like throwing underhanded the the Barry Bonds. Like, that's a home run, man. Like, you know what I mean? So, for me, it was just more so like, all right, good. So, you you got him on the second contract, but then you put this clause in, and it's like, that waters it down. It takes away the excitement from the fan base and everything. It makes things a little difficult. So, it's just like, it's tough, right? Like, it's really tough. And for me, it's more so like, if I can – we can figure this whole thing out to not have this clause in. And, and cause at the end of the day, now it makes him look bad. It makes Kyle look like he doesn't do the work. Like, and I don't know if you remember, but a couple off seasons ago, Patrick Mahomes talked about how he didn't like truly read defenses post snap. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, do we just forget that comment was even made? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, what the, does that mean that Patrick Mahomes wasn't studying? Not necessarily, but it means that he was winning more off his athletic ability. And that's typically what happens with young athletic quarterbacks, Blake. Like, they typically try to win off of their athletic prowess. Lamar Jackson, 
Pat Mahomes. We saw Michael Vick. Now it's it's a whole different Michael Vick even explained why before he got with Andy Reid, he said he didn't take the games. You know, basically paraphrasing, he didn't study. He was just going out there and just playing football as Michael Vick. And it was a showcase. So it's like, then you see what happens when he put takes the game serious and puts the work in and has a coach that's going to help him develop his mechanics when he got to the Eagles. And he's looks like an even better player, right? He's not just a dynamic runner. He's slinging it. He's accurate. He's making all the throws. So it's like those things, right? So there, it's, it's just something that you have to kind of take with other quarterbacks. They're not always – they're not going to be Tom Brady. Why they're not going to be Tom Brady? Because they don't physically have to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady had to be Tom Brady because he couldn't run a 4-4, you know? Mac Jones has to be Mac Jones because he has a average arm and he can't run. So it's like I have to be – as good from the neck up as early as possible. Because if not, there's no room for error for him. There's room for error for Josh Allen. Dear God. Like, <laughs> he, came in, he came in extremely inaccurate. He was a bad decision maker. He had a lot of different red flags. Sure. But one thing that we say at TDN, the draft network bet on traits, and he was a guy that had all the traits that you wanted in a quarterback, right? So then, you know, you see the progression. And it was like, but he was winning, like he was winning off of athleticism alone. It wasn't high football IQ. It wasn't that he was studying 20 hours independently. Yeah, he, he was, was just... trucking Anthony Barr. <laughs> He's jumping over him. I'm like, okay. If Anthony Barr is one of the most athletically gifted people on the planet, because that's how football is, and he's leaping over him and trucking him at once, it's like, that's part of the game. You develop your game mentally, and a lot of guys we see in the NFL, you kind of have to learn how to play out of structure while you're learning how to play. Or are you having the mental game developing? And that's why there's a lot of quarterbacks who don't have those physical traits, like you said. You see issues, and especially when the talent around them and the supporting cast has declined. There's another thing I think I'll tie in as well, which is, no, no, you take a look at some of the quarterbacks. I'd say, like, the, the prototypical quarterback, obviously, is a Tom Brady. It's a Peyton Manning. There's a certain look. There's a certain appearance, a tenacity that they have. And there's a lot of ways the NFL will... You know, like you said, will reward certain players. They reward success, obviously. But you take a look at someone like a Josh Allen, three years in, he gets his extension. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, three years in, they get their extensions and top two picks in the NFL draft. Granted, those two quarterbacks did have Super Bowl appearance. With Wentz, at least his team had a Super Bowl win. And you look at some of the other quarterbacks, like those guys in the upper echelon, um, those guys who have had to overcome a lot more, like a Dak Prescott. He carried his offense at Mississippi State. Dak Prescott with the Cowboys. He had to wait an extra year before his deal, play on the franchise tag. Um, and even Lamar is still at the time of this recording. He's not had his deal. He's entering into like the last year, essentially, like that fifth-year option is kicking in. There is a lot as far as with these quarterbacks, even Kyler Murray, who's taken at number one overall, he had to face questions about his size, other questions. Uh, he hasn't as much winning in the playoffs as maybe some of those other quarterbacks have had. And But all these quarterbacks, all of these guys outside of Patrick Mahomes, none of them have really gotten the benefit of the doubt. Uh, speaking of Mahomes, I was reading an article that I searched for that it was about a quarterback who was just as competitive in Call of Duty as they were on the field. 
and talked about how this player was no longer able to do some off-field activities. This wasn't Kyler Murray. It was about Patrick Mahomes having to play basketball while he's off duty. And instead, he went and was playing and having an article with the president of Activision, the guys that produced the act, the uh, Call of Duty games, talking with him about how much he loves Call of Duty. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's won a Super Bowl. He gets the benefit of the doubt, but he doesn't really seem to get that same issue, whereas Kyler Murray... You know, every time that there's a new Call of Duty, um, either event that drops um, or every time that there's, you know, some sort of bad game that's there, uh, there's going to be all sorts of people who are going to be bashing Kyler Murray. (laughs) It reminds me a lot of like when you talk about correlation causation, that guy who's like, hey, man, I've been looking at all these kids who are, you know, eating ice cream in the summer and looking at all these drowning statistics going up in the summer. And, you know, I think there's got to be some sort of connection. You're like, okay, like. Dude, you might be honest. I was like, yeah, like kids are getting, you know, sad because all their friends are drowning and the parents are buying them ice cream. You're like, okay, dude, like, come on. If you're going to talk about correlation causation, I could then say, look how many video games Patrick Mahomes plays. Like, Kyler Murray got to play more video games. Clearly, it doesn't make sense. And really, I think what it means is that winning is kind of the cure-all ultimately. Like, really, if Kyler Murray and the Cardinals go out and win then people are going to forget about this contract, you know, winning cures all, as they say. But otherwise, you look at what's been put in place as far as the narrative, and unfortunately for the Cardinals, they're going to be attached oh, at the hip 100%. until they're not. That's why I said, this like, clause. that's why I, I, I prefaced it earlier. Like, they have to come out and they, they have to win. Like, they have to win to shut a lot of these narratives down and, and, and not just win, right? I would prefer this team start off 2-4, and four, and finish like a 10 game winning streak into the playoffs and finish hot. They finish, then, then start 10 and 0 and then lose like over 50% of the final games, right? Like no more collapsing. Like, so if they can write the ship and just have a full season of consistency, something we haven't seen yet, it would be big because then, like you said, those narratives aren't talked about. Do you know how hard it is to troll a team that's, it's that's hypothetically they go to the Super Bowl, even if they don't win, but they, that means they won two playoff games, two or three playoff games to get there. And it's like, well, Kyle Murray didn't study. It's like, okay, but they made, they made it to the Super Bowl. And he was one of the best quarterbacks in all of football in 2022. It just stops a lot of those talks, stops the chatter. And I feel like it, to me, I want, this is what I want to see too. I want Kyler to come out with a chip on his shoulder. Like, Kyler has been – and don't get me wrong, Kyler's had a chip because of his size, and I've, I've listened to him talk about it as a, and as a fellow short thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, trust me, I walk around and chip my shoulder every day. But I think my, my thing is I want to see him come out and just come out and, and silence everything, right? I'm talking about come out with – with, okay, I'm going to play all 17 games with the level of disrespect – that I saw on Twitter, on, on all the talking shows during the offseason after I got paid, people didn't even believe I was I deserved the money I received. So let me go and show them, right? Like let me go prove myself right. So that's what I really want to see is Kyler come out and, and come out with that just not, you know, he doesn't have to be psycho Tom. Like Tom is a different type of guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, there's nobody, it's not like Tom, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan are all different level athletes in terms of a mentality standpoint. These guys are insane. They're crazy. And that's what makes them Hall of Famers and GOATs, right? 
but just come out with a level of urgency to say, you know what? We're going to put on the show, guys. We're going to do what we do. We're going to win these games, and we're going to shut everyone up. Absolutely. And um, one of the things I do want to mention before I move on from the topic is, you know, we can talk about some of the drama and issues the Cardinals have had. You can say that some of this we'll get into as far as camp. It's just, you know, the Cardinals in that narrative has very much been tied to that 2018 season where the Cardinals didn't trade up, you know, get one of those top star quarterbacks in the 2017 NFL draft when Carson Palmer was on his way out. They decided to win it one last time with Bruce Arians and, what we see in the following season is they kind of get shut out from the quarterback class. They do end up maybe picking the wrong quarterback at the end of the day. They weren't the only ones we've now seen from the, I think you've been can talk to and say this from seeing the Carolina Panthers. You've been at practice. You get to be able to see how they essentially had to move to Baker Mayfield. who The Browns moved off of because Sam Darnold was not putting it together enough for them to be able to trust him for a second year. But this team essentially did choose to kind of keep Steve Keim. They kept that track record. They've had issues as far as obviously kind of drafting hybrid players, maybe not drafting some of the right positions. Some of it, I think, ultimately is is that the quarterback in Kyler Murray has had to carry a team that ultimately has really been kind of building toward the last few seasons. They were the number one pick and were utterly atrocious. We've seen at least Cliff Kingsbury have to have a learning curve of getting into the league. There's questions about how high and how far he can take them. Uh, but at the end of the day, really it comes down to where a lot of this criticism is because Michael Bidwell had a team that gets blown out by the, granted, Super Bowl champions. And you've got a decision to make with Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. You decide ultimately to bring back all three. And a lot of people wondered and questioned some of those decisions. I think right now, at least, for the most part, you want to see the Cardinals be able to show that those were the right decisions and that they have everything in place moving forward. Because the alternative, of course, is you don't want further division to happen or being able to see a rocky ship like you've seen this last offseason. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans, at least to what I know of, are just happy to have most of that done and want the season to start Whereas nationally, the narrative is, I think, going to, like I said, Cliff Kingsbury is going to be on the hot seat until he's no longer on the hot seat. And Steve Kime is going to be under fire for his draft picks until he ends up, you know, drafting two or three superstars in the same draft. Because ultimately, that type of narrative is important. And I think the one thing that I do want to point out is the guy who's not really getting tied to this narrative and maybe that's been wrong, has been, I think, in a lot of ways, Kyler's agent, Eric Burkhart. is the guy who they decide that they want to approach the Cardinals with an unprecedented um, early contract. And we can, you know, talk about the merits of that contract. I think it's important to note that Kyler's going to be, you know, $46 million a year in new money. It's not maybe as much guaranteed as some people have said. He gets to hit free agency a year earlier. It's ultimately, I think, a relatively affordable deal for Arizona, like as most people have said. It was more than Kyler probably was going to get, you know, with other quarterbacks getting paid. But the cost of what you had to do to get that contract from Eric Burkhardt, of, you know, the ransom note, as people called it, of having, you know, the team essentially leak out that they were concerned about his maturity, which launched, of course, on Super Bowl Sunday through Chris Mortensen report. And then just kind of the tension, the back and forth. And ultimately, he had his quarterback sign a contract that ultimately made him look bad. Like, that shouldn't be up to 
the quarterback to stand out there and have to have these press conferences defending himself, which I appreciate that Kyler Murray, at least, you know, he cares enough to be able to say, like, hey, you're questioning my work ethic. I think that's wrong. And I want to come out as a leader to be able to say that I put in more work than people do and to hear nothing but silence from his agent. Like, you know, if it was me, let's say someone offered me a huge deal like Kyler Murray and said I had to tweet out something negative about myself every single week. I'd be like, for that money, I'll tweet out every single day. Like, I'll, you know, kick myself in the butt or something like that <laughs> for that type of money. It should be on the agent to be able to say, no, no, don't agree to that type of a deal. Like, we're going to push back on all of this. And Burkhardt, for the most part, has seemed kind of... You know, he, we haven't heard from him, haven't seen as much from him. It was ultimately very quiet when this contract launched. Kyler was the one ultimately, I think, defending himself. You know, for one reason or another, at least, I think that there's a little bit more blame that could go on him than a lot of the national media has said. But it really doesn't make the Cardinals look any better at the end of the day. And like you said, that's one of the most important things that Arizona has to be able to manage and figure out is how they're being run is ultimately up to Michael Bidwell because he is the owner and win or lose at the end of the day it is ultimately his team and he came away looking pretty petty for all of this 100% and you may, you bring up that great point is like you said like the, the the agent that's what you're there for to read the fine details of the contract and say hey dude just want to let you know read this line here because this may not go well on social media this may not go well period when it hits the public and it's different if it's like a handshake type of clause like yeah, yeah you know we discussed it we're, we're secure on it but it's in writing for someone to see and then put it out there right and that's what happened and it's like as an agent you would like i'm gonna protect my guy say kyler we're not gonna sign this if this is in here don't sign that like but at the same time but then you know on the flip side it's like where Bert was burkhardt just like you know what let's just go ahead and get the money. You know, you get paid. That means I get paid and you know, whatever. But it's like the <laughs> backlash, like it, you got paid at what cost, right? Yes. Like there was a, there was two costs. It was the, the, the bottom line as in the dollar amount cost. Then there was the cost of the public perception. And I think that's, that's a big part to me that to your point should have been discussed. Like, Maybe we don't sign this contract with this clause in Kyler. Maybe we push back and say, Bidwell, if you love me and, and want me as your quarterback for the next couple years to 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 lead this franchise, as I've been doing since I've been drafted, take this out. Like we're not gonna deal with that. So and that's what I think a lot of people question like, well, would Kyler sign it? And it's like, why would the agent even allow it to to get to the to get to him? Because typically, if I'm under the I'm under the impression typically that the agent reads over really before the player does. So, like, as the agent, if you read that and saw that clause, you'd be like, "Yeah, Kyler's not going to agree to this." So, when you're ready to revise this, give me a call, send me an email, fax, pigeon doesn't really matter. Just do whatever whatever way to communicate with me. You get back to me once this is out of the contract. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's great. Um, that, as far as when you're saying about perception, that even goes further as far as with um, Cliff Kingsbury, the comments from another day or two ago. He oh, talks yeah. about how Kyler Murray's calling plays, at least. He's like, hey, this bleep ain't easy, big dog, at least, as far as that. And I think a lot of people took that immediately and was like, okay, so like Cliff is bashing his quarterback and everything. Like, What's going on here? I think a lot of people, obviously, when you see stuff in writing versus hearing it, when you hear it in the press conference, you're like, 
this is kind of the cliff that we didn't get to see the first year or two in Arizona where he has like a sense of humor. There's joking around and he's he's kind of ribbed his quarterback too. Like after the Hale Murray throw was done, you know, they're like talking about it. And Cliff Kingsbury said, Guyler, you know, he's five, nine. He couldn't see over anybody to find out the end zone. So we had to look back at the big screen. It's like, okay, he's making fun of his quarterback <laughs> being short. And this is, you know, the same Cliff Kingsbury who, when we compared it to an episode of the bachelor, when everyone was getting drafted, like this is the guy he's wanted this quarterback to be his guy for six years. Like he worships the ground he walks on. It seems like at times, because he understands that talent, like his ultimate job is as a quarterback manufacturer, He's got one of the premier talents that he's ever had at the position. And this is a guy who, you know, has also coached Mahomes and other NFL quarterbacks before, too. He loves having Kyler as his quarterback. The other thing that I took away from it that was interesting was, you know, if Kyler, people are saying, oh, does he study film? Is he working hard enough? Easy way to be able to say that against and very subtle is, hey, Kyler's calling the plays for the offense over here. Like that immediately without pushing an agenda just shows your quarterback's been dissecting the offense and the defense has been calling plays it was intended i think to be a subtle positive of his quarterback and instead as we see the perception of the cardinals is so bad that right now people saw that took it out of the different context it was in turn it into a negative and i think that there's no way to say about it but it was a net negative for arizona just because of the spotlight that's been on the franchise right now unfortunately you know what? That, that's a that's a perfect point. You know, and, and you, you know, you ever had that friend that just like he's having a discussion with his spouse, with his wife, and everything he says is wrong. Like he's already in a doghouse, so it's like everything he says from that point on is fighting words from that point forward. And it's like you're just sitting there as his friend, like shut, buddy, shut up, don't say anything else. <laughs> You're going to lose everything you say, even though it's a joke. Yep. She's not joking right now. You can't do that. Right. So it's like, that's kind of where I, that's kind of my thought process is and how, how I view the cards at this moment. It's like, you know what? Don't say anything anymore. Like, let's just wait to, to let's wait till we get to the regular season. Let's get a win or two. Like, cause the more you talk at this point, even when you try to joke and be lighthearted about things, because of the perception, as you stated, of the overall organization at this moment, people are going to take it the wrong way. They're not going to like. And we're in such a, a day and age where people will just take a quote from an article they read, but the they can go online, whether it's on Twitter or it's on YouTube, wherever the, the team website, and watch the actual interview to get the full context. Like, how did he say this? But instead of doing the actual research, it's just a lot easier to say, I'm going to take this quote and run with it. And it's like, well, you listen to him and he's like, oh, that was more so of a joke, guys. Like he was just kind of having that. that that's the relationship with him and Kyle. They they are they're cool like that. that he can tell me this ain't easy, man. I like, call and play is like but then you realize at the flip side, he's saying Kyle's calling plays like for the offense. It's like so, as, like you said, it easily could. If the perception wasn't what it is, people are like, man, Kyle's calling plays. Like, okay, so he is, he, he knows the playbook. He, he does the work. But instead, it's like, well, Cliff's taking a jab at his quarterback. And it's like, this team is a mess. And it's just, the perception right now won't change until the football games are played and the team starts winning again. Right. And the Cardinals historically, like we've talked about this before, like the phrase I know that I've used before is poverty franchise. And that's been one of the avenues of when you 
can't really argue because they've had the second worst winning percentage of any NFL team. They're second only to the Buccaneers. Buccaneers still have two Super Bowls to their credit. They've got the John Gruden one. They now have the Tom Brady one. And the Cardinals have existed as a franchise for longer. It's been a real uphill battle for the most part for this team and a lot of their positive perception for the most part. I think Kyler Murray, in a lot of ways, we can talk about this more, he's probably part of changing that narrative that we've been able to see. Uh, but again, when you've had some of the areas of collapse and other places, the phrase that I love as far as a metaphor is, hey, if all you see are nails, then your solution is always going to be to bring a hammer. And I think with the Cardinals, people are looking at Arizona and seeing this flaw, this flaw, this flaw. And in a lot of cases, like you said, it's unfortunate the perception is there. But when you look at it through those lenses of the Cardinals as an organization, how their offseason has gone, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I think it is going to be important for this team to get to the season and make some positive momentum coming out the gate, especially knowing that that people are even still, no matter if the Cardinals start off, you know, 6-0 and without DeAndre Hopkins, people are still going to be pointing at that team saying, just wait for that second half collapse. There's a lot that this team is going to have to overcome some of those narratives if they're going to be able to find success. Uh, let's go with our next section here coming up on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll talk some actual football, what's been going on in training camp, some of the big questions. So get into the next half of our pod. That'll be up coming up next. And we're back on the ROTB pod. Let's talk some training camp, the Arizona Cardinals. We haven't gotten a lot that we've been able to see of the core team so far, Damian. We've really had Kyler Murray. As soon as he signs that deal, everything comes out. He immediately goes onto the COVID lists, uh, comes back just in time for the red-white practice on the Saturday, which, of course, Colt McCoy had a Veterans Day off for. So you're talking about, you know, most most of the fans in the seats that you're going to have before the first preseason game, your kind of dress rehearsal for the preseason. They got quarterback three and four out there. So obviously the defense has really been the key story which has been expected, I think. Uh, there have been some star players we can talk about in camp. There's been a lot of questions for the most part. I think the biggest thing coming in, obviously, is how is the offense going to adjust without D-Hop? How is the defense going to look without Chandler Jones and maybe without as much consistency at cornerback for the most part? So uh, we can talk a little bit about that, but I think the biggest storylines coming out of camp... Uh, really Damien has been centered around Isaiah Simmons. Uh, this is a guy who was drafted with a top 10 selection has not produced like it yet. And some all pro players who were selected afterwards, the Cardinals had their eye on uh, this year. It seems like he's going to be working out with the safeties a lot more. They're calling it the star backer position. Um, they seem like they've kind of put him into what they're calling is a lot more of a chance for success for him. Um, I'm excited for this move personally, but I want to get some of your thoughts at least about with how you graded Simmons coming out and some of what he can do to kind of find that success that's eluded him over the first two years of his career, which granted we're in the midst of COVID-19 and really didn't set him up well for success, but it wasn't like he was really taking that success as other players did either. No, I mean, like when, when he was coming out of Clemson, you know, being six foot three, two, six foot four, 230 pounds with a four, three, type of athletic profile. This was a young man that came out that played all over Clemson's defense. He was kind of that star Viper role where he lines up as a pseudo linebacker 
safety hybrid. He lined up in the nickel. He played some wide corner. You saw him playing against receivers, uh, you know, a man coverage. He did so many different things. And then you get to, to Arizona and they, they are trying to make him a full-time backer. But it's like to be a full-time backer, you need to play him off ball because that's typically what you what people expect him to be drafted as. Like, okay, if you're going to draft him as an off-ball backer, play him as an off-ball backer in your 3-4 defense. Instead, they had him on, on the line as an outside linebacker and set, trying to set the edge and rush the passer. And it was just like, this really isn't his skill set, guys. Like, and, and the biggest thing you know, with him is now with him being more of in that star, uh, line, star backer role, Blake, I believe it puts him in the best position to be successful and to be impactful. You know, he's used to reading plays of, you know, in terms of reading plays from depth, you know, and reading leverage and, and, and reading those from seven, eight, almost 10 yards off ball, rather than being right up on the action, right? Where everything is just snap and we're, Hey, you got to be ready to go immediately. And it's just, it's a, it's a difficult ask to go from playing, that far back to playing essentially outside stand-up edge, you know, the, the, the timing, the, the speed, especially transitioning as a young player in the NFL, the speed is so different. Guys get out of there, out of the block so quickly in the run game. And and you got to, and being that close, there's no room for error to misjudge a play, right. To, to inaccurately read it. So if you're playing on the line and you're not diagnosing run or pass quick enough, you're two, three steps behind the offense as the play is already in motion. So I think moving him back, and I'm, I'm believing Nick uh, uh, Vigil, I forget the, the linebacker. Yep, that's supposed him. To be Nick Vigil. So mm-hmm. he's playing, if he's going to be the one besides Zayvon Collins and allowing, um, you know, allowing Isaiah to play more of that star, that, that nickel, the overhang, where he's in space and allow him to be that run and chase threat, that guy that can disrupt passing lanes with his length and his athleticism. That's going to be that's going to be the best for him. So I'm I'm really excited to see because um, I, I feel like that's where he's going to be the most co- comfortable, Blake. Like I, I really believe we could see a a breakout season for him playing him in this specific position because I think this is where he's going to be able to excel. Yep. Simmons has talked about how this specific position, rather than kind of being pushed into a 3-4 will linebacker role, which is the weak side, you know, you're not on the tight end side, so it allows you to either rush the passer at least as far as blitzing from the outside or being that. But like you said, he is in a spot in Clemson where if you look at a lot of his skill set, and this is where, you know, you can listen to past podcasts coming out back when we had the days of Johnny Venerable and I we were went at it, and I was very adamant about how you're like, all right, this guy's skill set. He's great at being able to weather spy, being able to blitz the quarterback. He's not really an edge rusher as far as when you're looking at the bend. The, he's a different type of athleticism. You're not talking about a guy who's going to run up the middle and kind of stick his nose in. You're not talking about a player, for the most part, who um, is really, like you said, even. He would be either on the line knowing his responsibility or would be back a ways and was able to be a ball hawk. That interception he had in the 2020 Seahawks game uh, really showcased, I think, a lot of the ability to read and react from depth. And he looked most comfortable at the safety position. So I looked at him and said, all right, you got Isaiah Simmons. I think that he's in the mold of the Honey Badger, the Derwin James. I think he's a safety was very upset when the Cardinals were saying they were going to put him into this, you know, 3-4 inside linebacker role. It's exciting that he seems to finally be getting out of it, but it's this is the role I feel like he should have been in all along. 
Cardinals previously. We've seen this with Hassan Reddick. People have talked about this before. I think it's more, for me, it's disappointing that I feel like I can be just, you know, a fan who doesn't have access to players talking through areas who even I can tell you I'm very limited in what my football knowledge is as far as I can put together X's and O's, but as far as the specifics that the NFL requires, you know, like I tell people, hey, you put me back at quarterback, you know, the ball is going to be going the other way and I'm probably going to be in the dirt. Like, but if I can at least understand that and the Cardinals as an organization with their general manager are struggling with that, that's kind of unfortunate. Part of why the Cardinals, I think, are in this situation is just from needing to get together, whether it's from the player, the team that fit. It just They haven't offered a great support system for some of these players. I do think that Isaiah Simmons, however, now that he's in this role, could be in line for more of a breakout season. We've had already reports in camps. He looks like he belongs there. We've even seen him line up in the slot uh, against the likes of DeAndre Hopkins, interestingly enough. We can talk about some of that we've seen with camp, but... The fact that they talked about how Andy Isabella and the slot was running over the middle of the field and camp, and Isaiah Simmons was staying with him step for step, I think that tells you a lot about not just Simmons, but maybe a bit about where Isabella is right now as a player. To me, it seems like that this is the kind of player that you're hoping can be a core piece for Arizona moving forward. And I'm kind of excited to see that I think the Carlos have finally figured it out, and it didn't take through year four it did with Hassan Reddick. They'll have time, I think, over the next year, and if they are able to renew, he plays well enough for that fifth year rookie option over the next three years at least to be able to make plays in the desert because they're going to need it with the way this defense is lined up. Absolutely. And then when you think about why he was drafted the year prior, they, the, the Arizona Cardinals defense was the worst defense against tight ends coming into the draft when he was drafted. So that's why he was drafted. And it's like, you think about how much how farther along and how much better Isaiah Simmons probably would have been if they had started him as that star backer hybrid safety role and just let him be comfortable. So I'm really excited to see possibly the Clemson version of Isaiah Simmons, where this young man's out there, like, like you talked about him against DeAndre Hopkins. I remember uh, it was a game in, uh, in college when he's at Clemson against Notre Dame. He's in a slot against Miles Boykins, who was drafted as a receiver to the Baltimore Ravens, a big, uh, fast, you know, kind of build-up speed receiver, and he locked him down. And I'm just like, this is a different skill set that this young man has. And I'm not going to lie, I think back to when, um, when the New England Patriots drafted Jamie Collins coming out of college. Uh, I think it was out of Southern Miss, Southern Mississippi or Southern Missouri or something like that. A smaller school. He played safety coming like while he was still in college. Jimmy Collins played safety, linebacker, and defensive end. Like all in like I believe the same season. Like it's just you don't see defenders doing that, right? But you got to have the body type in terms of the height, length, and body composition, and then also the athleticism. And he comes in as a rookie. And I remember it's like late in the season, playoffs. Belichick has this, this weapon X that no one has seen all season because Jamie Collins was like injured. And, and then when he got healthy, Belichick still didn't play him until he really needed him. They go up against the Broncos. Wells Welker, his old receiver, is in the slot. He put Jamie Collins on him, locked him down, getting past deflections, causing issues for Peyton Manning in, in the passing lanes and those are the things that Isaiah Simmons can do. And I'm not surprised, you know, Andy Isabella is a 4-3-3 guy, but then Isaiah Simmons is also a 4-3 guy too. So I'm not surprised at all that he's able to keep, keep step for step with him because he's got the stride and the speed to do so. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's something that I think, as we said, the Cardinals need. They need Simmons to be able to take a step up. They need Zayvon Collins to take a step up. Going to practice, it was very interesting because, you know, Collins, they said that he's not wearing the green dot or the guy who, you know, calls out the defense. They've got that rotated through. What's interesting is, is if you're looking at the Cardinals and potentially running more of these 3-3-5 three, three, types of looks, which is three down linemen, you know, three linebackers, but five safeties, with Isaiah being kind of that defensive chess piece to maybe hide your defense a little bit. What's interesting is Nick Vigil coming out of camp is probably going to get a lot more playing time than we thought. When the Cardinals signed him, we assumed it was going to be more of a depth role, replacing kind of what Jordan Hicks had been doing. But we thought it was going to be Zavin and uh, Isaiah were going to be the two guys that you would see. And instead, what it's looked like is that Nick Vigil has had a lot of traction in camp as far as playing with the ones and you know he's a guy who's not nearly as tall or as big as any of the other guys like that was what stood out to me was you know you got these six two you know 240 pound guys vigil is like he, he's listed at six two two thirty five i don't think he plays at six two two thirty five he looked so much smaller than those other two guys which is a tremendous compliment to them but also i think maybe shows how you might not be as set as you would have wanted to be at linebacker for Arizona. And I think that some of the defensive scheme adjustments that Vance Joseph is going to have to make and perhaps even making another addition is going to be very interesting to see. So uh, let's talk a bit about some of the pro scheme, what we're seeing with the first team for the most part. Uh, one of the things I think that I would expect this year is that J.J. Watt and Nickel Downs, which most teams are going to be looking at as far as you're kind of it's replaced your base defense like and this is kind of the nfl as it shifts as it changes we've seen the spread offense has kind of taken over teams have been able to spread out or are running kind of that west coast mcveigh shanahan offense with these tight bunches that you're able to kind of run out from and that teams are really stressed in the run game against that because of having to be able to cover multiple different options covering you know guys who are uh, in motion at least that could be very distracting to look at for the most part what we've seen is that the four three and three four almost kind of doesn't exist teams are just used to these nickel formations at least that they're able to be in because passing is so prolific and what's interesting is i would think that you could probably see Maybe we'd expected, which was Marcus Golden on the outside, Devon Kennard on the other side, J.J. Watt being kind of in that defensive tackle spot. It wouldn't shock me if you see Marcus Golden and J.J. Watt be some of those top edge rushers for the Cardinals um, this year. I think that's one of the ways that you could replace a Chandler Jones. You know, Marcus Golden has really not been able to show off all of his skill set for the most part because he's been in kind of that semi-coverage zones so that Chandler Jones was able to rush the passer. Now he's in that primary spot. We'll see. There's going to be a time or two he'll have to drop back. But I think that defensively is part of the adjustment that we're going to see. And also, I think we're going to be looking at, at least from the defensive side, uh, the Cardinals being able to use Jalen Thompson, Buda Baker, and Isaiah Simmons in a variety of ways to blitz and get after the quarterback it's going to be interesting to see, at least for the most part. What are some of your thoughts on the Cardinals' starting defensive lineup? And uh, we can get into some of this, too, but what are some of the opening thoughts as to can this unit, despite listing Chandler Jones and right now, for the most part, not really seeming to bring back Robert Alford, didn't make any big defensive signings this offseason at all. They have had Corey Peters and other kind of these veteran defensive linemen. It seems they're kind of content to let Richard Lawrence and Lecky Foe go through with it. What are your thoughts about the defense and are they going to take a step back this year as many national media sources are kind of implying? Um, I think for, 
from a defensive standpoint, the biggest concern for me is the secondary. There's a lot of youth there, but not bringing, like, not being able to retain Chandler Jones or even Hassan Reddick uh, from the previous offseason just hurts, right? Because now you're relying on Marcus Golden is, is a solid pass rusher. Dennis Gardeck is also a solid pass rusher. But you don't have a guy, right? Like, you don't have that guy. And, yeah, you know, J.J. Watt, when healthy, is, is still a very disruptive player on the D-line. And for me, it's more so you have guys out on the free agency where you look right in your division, D. Ford, you know, being 31 years old, being, you know, who was a very who was a productive guy with the Kansas City Chiefs and goes to San Fran, it just doesn't work out for him. He couldn't stay healthy, and things just didn't work out in his favor. You have him on the market. JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, what, I think he's a two-, three-time Super Bowl champion, ton of leadership, ton of experience, and this is a guy that is still productive, right? Like last year, I think he had six-and-a-half sacks. The year before, he had ten-plus sacks. So – and, and double-digit pressures and hurries, and he still can get the job done. Um, so I think they, and with the extension of, of DJ Humphreys, they open up some 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 cap space. And there, there's been some swirling around Robert Quinn over at Chicago and how Chicago is a team that may be looking to move on from him you know, or, or maybe li- willing to listen to some offers. And, and if I'm kind... I mean, you've, you've, you've made that decision every offseason the past couple to swing on a veteran. Well, this is a guy who had, what, 15-plus sacks last year, Robert Quinn. He's one of the better pass rushers off the edge in the NFL. And you think about adding, if you're able to send a, at worst, a th- you know, at worst a third, no, not a first, of course, but second or third-round pick to Chicago, who's in a rebuild around their young quarterback, Justin Fields, and they want as many draft assets as possible to build – a roster of talent, young talent around him. If you can snag Robert uh, Robert Quinn for that price, that that's a great steal to me because now you got yourself a bona fide edge rusher that you can then put alongside um, on those kind of wider split defensive looks where you can have uh, Quinn beside JJ Watt, and now teams have the slide protection. Maybe you throw Maje Sanders on the opposite side and, 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 and you know, try to collapse the pocket the Lecky, Rashad Lawrence. I'm not the biggest Zach Allen fan, to be honest with you. Um, but defensively, they have to find the pass rush. Because if you unless you go out and get a veteran corner, you know, um, that can come in and be a corner, your number one quarterback, which is hard to do because there's not many veteran corners that aren't a little longer in the tooth that you could put put that, that that type of label on, you need to have a pass rush to help the young guys in the back end. Mm. So help them, you know, help uh, Byron Murphy, help Antonio Hamilton when he's in, right? You know, help Marco Wilson, help these young men, like not have to cover for six seconds. Like Darrell, Darrell Reeves, to me, like I personally had Darrell Reeves over Deion Sanders as my, as my favorite cornerback of all time. Deion Sanders is number two. But if you tell both of these guys to cover for six or seven seconds, they're going to get beat. That's just the nature of the game. So I think, you know, for me, it's, and I want to see a defensive, which I'm not talk, kind of going more detail about this in a piece that I'm working on. Um, 
I want to see more Leckie Fotu and Rashad Lawrence together on the field on rundowns. Also, Michael Dogby uh, on, on rundowns. You know, this guy has 34 and a half inch arms. He bench pressed 225 almost 40 times coming into the league. This is a strong, thick body defensive end who can play that five tech. He can play a four eye and do those things, right? Use him. Like, I, like I said, I'm not the biggest Zach Allen fan. I would pull him off the field on rundowns, man, and I would put that lineup of either Rashad Lawrence, Lecky Fotu at the at the zero one tech, and then of course JJ Watt, and then put um you know either Dogby, you know Dogby or Lawrence or whoever one of those guys at the other five, and and be able to two gap because if you're gonna play three four, you have to be able to handle two gap responsibilities. Zach Allen is not capable of that. Right, he's he's not the strongest. He doesn't have the longest arms, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. It's just not his skill set to be that. Right, he'd probably be better off as a four three in as a five tech in a four three defense four in a base four three line, uh, four four man lineup because he doesn't have to have two gap responsibility. But when you're inside of a guard and tackle, that's difficult, man. And if you don't have the arm length or power to uh, to muscle your way through that snap after snap. It's not going to bode well. It's not going to end well for you. So that's kind of where I look at with the defenses. So you know, figure out the defensive line so you can stop teams early and put them in more pass rushing situations. And then when you think about what we talked about with Isaiah Simmons, you can kind of you can with him and Buda on the field at the same time as safeties with Jalen as well. You can get a little creative in your blitz packages, Vance Joseph, and show something and send it from the opposite direction and really confuse some of these quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. And I think at least with the Cardinals, we've seen at least with some of their draft picks, we can talk about this since we're talking about the defense, is that you're right that they don't have a 1A and a 1B, and you feel like you've got your 1B as far as the likes of Marcus Golden, you know, double-digit sack guy. He always seems to just play well in Arizona, just like that's kind of his home for him now, home away from home, you could say. And... But like you said, as far as if the Cardinals' goal this year is to win a Super Bowl and be that type of a team, you know, Marcus Golden being the number one pass rusher, it doesn't seem to quite fit a Super Bowl winning type of team for your pass rush. And, you know, I love Marcus and feel like that he's one of those guys who's underrated. And maybe right now he's even argued slightly underpaid for what he's been able to put up for in Arizona. Uh, Cardinals did go out to to address it with the draft, but they took Cam Thomas, who, if you look at his skill set, like you talk about that two gap of the type of player. I think that he's kind of your more Zach Allen replacement as far as that. He's not like the long-arm guy. He's never really played, you know, standing up before as far as that five-tech type of ability. Or, you know, I guess you could say he's always played standing up. He was a 3-4 outside linebacker, the best pass rusher at San Diego, San Diego State. I think in the NFL, he's going to put on a bit of weight, you know, move out of that tweener role. And he's going to get a year. Zach Allen's going to be a free agent next year. He could slide into that role. But they didn't really address the spot as far as being able to find that long-term approach. Now, one guy that I think we could see a little bit more of this year who's making a name for himself at camp is MyJ Sanders, who's coming out of Cincinnati. He's the rookie. He's kind of the one defensive guy that you've talked about, at least for the most part. You can see not just the juice, but, you know, as far as for a player... The biggest knock at him coming out was you didn't get to see him really rush the pass or his sacks and his tackles for loss fell off his senior year. And his weight was something that was a concern. Now, the Cardinals, 
they felt like they got a steal because they found out that he was sick during the week. His weight was lower. They were able to kind of see him, and he's looked at camp like he's gotten back up near the 240, 245. I don't know if he's quite at that 250, 255 level yet, but it does seem like, at least between that and the athleticism popping off, that he's a guy that I think in a situational pass rusher type of role, on third down, he'll be able to come in and get after the quarterback. That's going to be like his one job. But that's not quite enough, I think, for a Cardinals team that is looking to get out of that first round of the playoffs that has a Super Bowl this year that they're looking to play in at home if they can. It's going to be at State Farm Stadium this year. So I agree with you that that may be one of the moves that they could be looking to make. And even if they do make a move like that, you've got, like we said, Zach Allen, free agent next season. J.J. Watt, this is his last season under contract. You're also talking about how even Marcus Golden, is his deal is up at the end of the year. Devon Kennard, the veteran, so you're like, all right, so these are the entire starting defensive line for the most part is going to be kind of looking at getting a new deal this offseason with the Cardinals or heading to another team. You're going to have to make some sort of investment, and bringing in a player on a two-year deal who can be a pass rusher will be able to, I think at least, cement uh, enough of that, uh, I guess you could say consistency or having a known quantity at that position. Speaking of that, let's transition now with the offensive side along those same sidelines. Cardinals next offseason were looking just as badly on the offensive line as they were with the pass rush. They had only one player under contract for next year with Rodney Hudson, who had started consistently. And Josh Jones was is probably expected to take over one of those spots, but he's only really started at the guard position or in relief. Cardinals go out and sign DJ Humphreys this offseason to a contract extension for the next three years. It's going to be a $17 million average. Probably looked a little closer to about $14 million or so. Um, you can kind of compare it to Teron Armstead, who got a big deal from the Dolphins. He was averaging about $15 million a year, but had a lot more guaranteed money and a lot more years. Humphreys at age 32 is going to hit that free agency market again. It's going to be interesting to see, at least for him, but he's kind of been the first Cardinal in a lot of ways in the Kime era who's made it to that third contract, which is <laughs> a huge plus, and it's a huge success story. Obviously, he hasn't played, I think, to what many Cardinals fans were hoping of being this kind of elite or a top five, top ten offensive tackle in the league, but he's at least been able to put forward a consistency, and now the Cardinals, you've got a lot less questions. You know, you can slot Humphreys at left tackle, slot Josh Jones at right tackle. You maybe can get Rodney Hudson back or at least have an offseason to prepare for his departure. Then you're just kind of talking about filling in some of that interior offensive line. Um, what are your thoughts, at least as far as for the Cardinals? Was this a good deal they needed to make, or is this a deal that the Cardinals could regret and maybe should have been, you know, like some people said, after that, Rams playoff game they should have just flushed the whole offensive line down gotten through this year and started retooling uh, for 2023 and beyond because this has been a Cardinals team that's drafted a lot of linebackers has not drafted a lot of offensive linemen to protect Kyler Murray highly they spent those picks for the most part on getting him weapons no I I, I like the signing I, I actually like DJ and what he brings and like I said is he a top five offensive tackle in the league no, and, and and at the end of the day, that's fine. You know, you, you kind of have to understand, like, he's a really serviceable player. He's been so for majority of his career. Like, he, he's been, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but this has been a guy that's really kind of found his way. Uh, then last year, he, he like I said, he had some, some 
so he's had more ups and downs, I would say, last year than 2020. 2020, um, he was really good. 20, uh, 2019, he was good as well. And 2018, um, he also played well um, for the most part. So this is all about for him stacking and, and keeping the pressures down and things like that. But at the same time, for me, it's just like, you know what? From a financial standpoint, it wasn't a ridiculous deal. And then it opened up some money to where, hey, does Kime say, you know what? Let me... Maybe I go out here and I, I, I double dip in free agency. Maybe I go get up a, a corner and a pass rusher, right? Like they have, I think I believe that 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 deal or that extension freed up some money to get them into the twenty or so million dollar range for cap space. If I remember correctly, I remember seeing the tweet about it. So if they're able to, if they're able to have enough money to where they can add some pieces to help the defense. That would be great because at the end of the day, that's the one thing that, you know, a lot of these other quarterbacks have had that Kyler hasn't had is a defense that can keep teams off the field, take the take the ball away, limit points. and yep. They were successful when they did that last year. They were a defensive-led team. We're tops in DVOA for a while and had a top-five mm-hmm. DVOA team, I think, the last two years, which surprises a lot of people when you look at the team <laughs> because you're like, on paper, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But really, they've been a defensive team that's been having to figure things out on offense besides Kyler Murray using yep. his legs and his arm to make plays. Absolutely. So I, I, for, for the offensive standpoint, I, I like signing uh, Humphreys. And I'm really hopeful, Blake, that like you talked about Josh. I don't want to see Josh Jones ever at guard again. Like, yeah, no. you know, he was, was a tackle. A they wanted yes. him to play at offensive guard just to try to get him some starts. Said this is a bad idea because you could kill the guy's confidence, at least for each of those. They've got him back now where he's been while DJ Humphreys was out with a stomach bug, which, you know, someone said, you know, uh, he immediately started feeling better once they fed him some money, which is always how it goes. It's a, a hold in and he was his own agent. So that was part of why it didn't seem to get out, which is, you know, props to him for a guy who a lot of people said needed to mature as far as coming into the league has seemed to show tons of maturity in that regard. Um, we've been able to see Josh Jones filling at that left tackle spot. He looks like his strength is on point. He looks like a natural. He looks now like the player that I think the, the Cardinals and someone like me thought he would be coming out. And I think that's some security that he may be one of those guys that if he gets the chance to start next year or someone misses some time this year at the tackle spot, he can fill in like he did last year against the Dallas Cowboys and be able to get that second deal of being maybe a long-term entrenchment for the cards. Um, that's, I think, something that is exciting. But playing him at guard was just – it was a bizarre – and it was really ultimately, I think, maybe not a setback for him for anything, but it just really showcased that the Cardinals are a team that needs to put players in positions to succeed – and they've really struggled, I think, the last couple of years of trying to win. Now you've all right, you've proven yourself. You won eleven games. Now is, I think, the time to prove that you do know what you're doing as a franchise. Oh, hundred percent. I think you know. Like I said he he doesn't have the body composition for guard to handle the physicality that goes on between the tackles. So putting him back at tackle where he can use his his athletic ability, his long, his length, his long arms, and his reach, and just play at his natural position, uh, I think he'll be fine. So, but I really hope for is you know he goes to tackle and he develops there. I'm hoping that Will Will Hernandez can lock up that right guard spot because he's going to bring a level of physicality. He's a he's a brawler, man. Like he is a brawler. He's a more of a. It's it's weird because he doesn't truly fit the system. He's more of a gap 
a power type of guard rather than a zone blocking guard. But seeing that you moved away from Chase Edmonds and and you're really embracing James Conner and his physical Mm -hmm. downhill style, Will Hernandez can open some holes for him. You think about some double teams and duo blocks of Rod, you know, Rodney Hudson and Will Hernandez and one of them climbing to, to pick off linebackers at the second level. Let's get James Conner and these running backs going downhill and get them up the gut of the defense, man. And that keeps the offense on schedule. And then you think also his, his ability to displace guys in the run game will help in the red zone. Maybe Cliff will have more confidence to run more, run the ball more inside the five um, to, to really optimize and, and, and maximize getting points. So those are the things I'm hoping for is that Will Hernandez uh, takes over that, that right guard rule and maybe earns a two, three year, you know, team friendly deal at the guard spot while you still have Rodney Hudson. Maybe he comes back next year and then John, and then, then Josh Jones takes over that right tackle spot. Cause the main thing, Blake, you want to get the five of five cohesive guys on the field. Get your best five on the on the field. However that lineup goes, let's get the best five out there so that you can protect Kyler Murray and run the football. Right. And one thing I was uh, I got together with uh, one of our uh, kind of the sister podcast, the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, our uh, site host, Seth Cox. Uh, he's the one who is on that with Jess Root. Met up with Jess and we both talked about how if you're looking at offensive lines, the Cardinals actually have the most stable offensive line in the entire NFC West, which you wouldn't think of it at first, but they've got four of their five starters are now with Hudson back in the fold have returned. Justin Pugh's back for another year. And you arguably, at least, you might not know as far as pass protection, I think is the biggest question mark that people have had with Will Hernandez, um, as far as whether it's overextending or being able to, like, you know, whether it's with stunts. The Cardinals as a whole have not picked up stunts as well because they're difficult for any offensive lineman. Teams can use those to their advantage. But if having him back with his college coach and Sean Cooler can boost that pass protection, like you said, then you may be looking at it as potentially an upgrade, at least from where it was late last year with hopefully a healthy Hudson back in the fold. I think that level of stability and being able to have someone who, like you said, is a guy who's physical at the line of attack. This was the kind of main guy the Cardinals were, I think, looking at in free agency outside of, you know, looking to maybe bring back a Hassan Reddick or looking at the, you know, top end corner market. Um, Cardinals, at least, they've, have some space to be able to sign some guys. I, I think that I wouldn't put it past them to also have some cap room used to extend the likes of a guy like a Jalen Thompson. Um, we've at least seen how the Cardinals have kind of found a gem out of the supplemental draft. He's been one of the more underrated safeties. Um, we saw Buda Baker finally kind of was always this, oh, most underrated player finally is kind of getting rated in the right context for the NFL community. Thompson seems like he may be next. And so while the Cardinals may be spending a lot of money on their safety roles, considering how they use them all over the field, um, between him, Thompson, and Simmons, I think that there's definitely – uh, a lot of room, at least, for being able to use up some of that cap space. But uh, let's talk now about the wide receivers and the defensive backs. That'll be kind of what we'll do as far as um, we've talked enough about the quarterback coming in. I think a lot of this year, though, the definite narrative has been Cardinals defensive backs seem weak, like they haven't really addressed the spot of the position. Uh, unfortunately, since the untimely passing of Jeff Gladney, it's been kind of an open spot they've been needing to fill. And They've openly talked about it. Uh, today, the Cardinals essentially worked out, uh, I believe it was five players, if you look at the NFL wire. Um, they have worked out, let me get this list over here, at least for the most part. 
We've got a bunch of players that you probably have never heard of. Uh, this is just kind of how it can go, at least at the other end of the roster. Uh, this is per uh, Aaron Wilson, NFL. Uh, Cardinals worked out um, five, six defensive backs today. No one else. Just all defensive backs. So, you know, they're looking for a corner. The offensive side, they obviously traded for Hollywood Brown. He had his incident and also the hamstring, which was interesting. I know also talking with people. You see, J.J. Watt comes in. We don't know where he's going to line up. He kind of tweaks his knee or, some, or his hamstring, I should say, in the run test. And this year, Hollywood Brown, uh, dealing with the hamstring injury. So they both finally come back once the public practices are closed. We kind of can't see or the media can't report on it. Uh, very, very interesting that, that both of these new additions, we don't really get to know what happens for them their first year. Cliff Kingsbury, I think, can be more of a secretive guy. Uh, part of with the Cardinals offense that we do know of is we've seen Rondell Moore get some, a little bit of time lining up in that left side X position and DeAndre Hopkins in the slot with Isaiah Simmons in coverage. Enough of that, at least, to know that there are going to be some differences that we see in the passing game this year. Uh, the wide receivers have, I think, ultimately you know, been the talk of this team because of the addition of Brown. We know that Greg Dorch has shown up, at least, as being the biggest name on offense. You know, you've got quarterback three and four are there. A.J. Green has been getting some reps, but Dorch and the other guys who are trying to make that final 53... He's a guy that's flashed pretty much consistently every day in camp, whether it's been on scramble drills, just getting separation over the top. His hands have been sticky. You talk about from a scouting perspective. You're like Andy Isabella makes a deep catch. He kind of cradles the ball against his body. Dorch is kind of extending all the way out. So you know those hands, it's going to be like stick -ups. sticks to those hands. That's one of the guys that seems to be the biggest story to look at for the most part. But, man, these wide receivers, everyone seems to be looking at the receivers and the tight end, Zach Ertz, Max Williams, and the fold. Trey McBride has been getting snaps with the ones. You're talking about the Cardinals anticipating a decent workload for him as they bring Williams back. And then these cornerbacks, on the other hand, like Byron Murphy's stuck out as far as getting his hand on balls and being able to get some of these um, uh, kind of, I guess, takeaways from you know Colt McCoy because Kyler hasn't been practicing. But after that, Marco Wilson's been a hurt. Antonio Hamilton's at least the guy who's been making plays. But there's not really been a lot of defensive backs that we've really seen. And like you said, that seems to be the biggest hole that Arizona has currently on their roster. 100%. And, you know, I, I, I love hearing about Dortch because you got to figure out that Oh, so that four and five receiver spot, right? It's more so, like, okay, when Hop is back, you know, you know the top. You know, the more more than like the top four, we know is going to be D Hop. You know, Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, AJ Green. That five and six spot, right? I prefer to, it to be Greg Dorch and then Antoine Wesley, because yeah. you know, and, and a lot. I, I know Andy Isabella has had some fans, you know, with the you know in the fan base for since he was drafted, but. I was never really high on him because of the simple fact of what you're talking about. He's not a true hands catcher. Um, so he's, he's never been someone that gave me confidence in terms of how his ability to pluck the ball away from his body, away from his frame. So he doesn't have a great catch radius. It has to, to, to touch his body almost every time. Um, and his value, I've never, he's never stood out to me. He's never, I never believed that Kyler trusted him to win his one-on-one -on -one battles consistently when he was in the game. And having the trust of the quarterback is, is pivotal, right? It's not just Kyler, but Aaron Rodgers is the same way. Tom Brady's the same way. Peyton, Drew Brees, all of them are like that. Mahomes, same thing. 
they yeah, they want to hit the open guy, but they got to trust that you're going to get open to hit you. And um, so Greg Dorch having a strong camp is big, and, and having Antoine Wesley will be better options. And I think to, for, for Andy Isabella to make this roster, he has to be an impactful returner, and I just don't see the value for it to, to keep him, uh, to, to be totally honest, especially when they've been trying to shop him over the past couple off seasons. It's just no one's bid at it, so it's like, at some point, you gotta cut the guy. Like you can't just you can't just hope somebody's gonna eventually magically want to trade him. You just cut him and cut bait and just like, hey, we we we, we failed. We drafted him ahead of DK Metcalf and a couple other guys. That was a fail. We won't do that again. But you let you know you let him go and let him find a um, potential practice squad spot somewhere else and try to you know rectify his career. But offensively at the at the skill position, I'm really intrigued. Um, I've, I've heard it and read about how, you know, Rondell Moore's playing more of the outside role to get prepared to play that while, you know, D-Hop's suspended. And I think that's big because you think about the fact that if, if, if Cliff starts to move pieces around and stop the static alignment, start getting guys in spots, right? You put uh, D-Hop in the slot, you know, you could, you could really create advantageous windows for Kyler. To the point where you can have D-Hop on the line at the slot receiver spot. You can have Rondell Moore off the line as the quintessential X out, you know, flanking him to his left. And now when D-Hop runs that post or that 10 to 15-yard dig route, that safety over the top is going to come crashing down to bracket D-Hop which would then give Rondell Moore and that 4-2 speed, that explosiveness that he has one-on-one. And Kyler Murray is arguably up there. He's up there with Russ, in my opinion, in terms of a deep ball passer. He he, he identifies the one-on-one matchup so well. So those are, like, to me, I, I think those are the things. Because then you think about what Hollywood Brown's going to bring. Uh, I watched the a lot of the Ravens offense last year, especially when Lamar Jackson was in. And let me tell you, like, Hollywood Brown freed up everyone on the offense. Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, all those guys. They had bigger windows because whether it was in the low red zone, whether it was from the 50-yard line, they're, they're running him on a post pattern or on the go. He's taking a safety, and he's taking a corner with him. And what that means is there's free access, free terrain for someone else to find and sit into that area for Kyler Murray to have an open receiver. So uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I think once everybody's in the fold and D-Hop returns, I'm not as worried as everyone, though, uh, while D-Hop is out. Because I feel hmm. like all, as long as Hollywood Brown's not suspended and, and his hamstring is fine, um, I feel like this offense can still hum um, from a receiver standpoint. You know, A.J. Green can still – and that's another guy. You could put him in the slot and have Rondell and Marquise out wide and make him a big slot receiver yeah. uh, and, and give smaller nickels t- like really tough matchups. So, and, and I'm intrigued. You brought trimming brother. I'm ex- excited to see what they do with him. And he's a really good blocker. He's got great hands. I saw him at the senior bowl. His, 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 his separation wasn't the best, um, but he knows how to run good, run good routes for, for his size and his build, but his ability to make tough contested tight catches, Blake is really strong. 
Yeah, and that's going to be a level of trust that the quarterback can thread it in there for the most part. And hopefully he'll get at least, I know. Tight ends can sometimes take one or two years unless, you know, you're the likes of George Kittle and suddenly you're just the best tight end ever. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski the same way. I don't think that having that expectation for Trey McBride is healthy. But being able to be in a spot where he's got the toughness that you see in a Max Williams and kind of the mental aspect of Zach Ertz in that game... I think it's very easy to see at least a role for him where the Cardinals are able to, you know, go in and out of 12 personnel to 11 personnel and having two capable pass catchers at tight end. We never really got to see that because the Cardinals have never had for their history a thousand yard tight end receiver that they've really not since I think like the 80s had like a 700 yard catching tight end they finally have an experienced one in Ertz they've got someone who's coming back in Williams and they've at least got a future there in McBride I'm excited to see like what the offense does we've talked about how the last few years it's easy reads for Kyler Murray when you look at the defense you've got Hopkins you got Kirk in the slot and Green outside and then you're able to run the ball effectively up the middle and when teams start to bring that safety down uh, or you can see the safety try to cheat left to cover and give some double coverage to DeAndre Hopkins. That's an easy go route on third and one to be like, hey, AJ Green, he's going to run by this guy. We can throw the ball up to him. It got predictable, I think, after a while, and we got to see at least how when the defenses that were better got to lock down and Hopkins wasn't able to simply go and kind of be that guy to make a play when the pass rushes there, the coverage is tight. The Cardinals, I think, went all out and understandably like wanted to get some of these weapons. Now, it's something that's a lot of NFL teams have done as well. You know, you mentioned Hollywood Brown opening things up for the Ravens. Ravens essentially wanted to kind of stick with more of their run-heavy approach. Hollywood, you know, I think there was a stat that showed up that 40% of his throws last year were uncatchable. Like, you talked about Lamar needing to fix his base. I think it's unfortunate that we may not get to see what Lamar looked like with Brown in that offense with some of those mechanical issues fixed. But on the bright side, we get to see him with Kyler Murray and not having to be that number one wide receiver. He's going to get to slide to the second option, maybe in some cases, depending on how A.J. Green plays. You know, he may get the third or fourth cornerback if you're going to have to start putting someone who can actually tackle a big uh, physical guy, like, or I should say small physical guy, who plays like a big physical receiver in Rondale Moore. I think there's a lot to learn from. And like you said, as far as with it, the one area that I will say is it feels very much like uh, because of maybe it's because he doesn't play, but Andy Isabella the fact that when you're available, that's something that can be a plus. And right now with Antoine Wesley, he's getting an MRI. Uh, we took down an injury in practice. They said it was the hip. You can kind of look at the slow-mo where you had a corner going up and making a play on him. He kind of falls down hard. He doesn't turn his knee the wrong way. doesn't turn the ankle the wrong way. But you kind of see at least that hip. It just kind of hits hard when that foot goes into the dirt. We'll see what happens, but if he's not healthy or able to get back by week one, or if it is unfortunately much longer than that, you hope that that's not going to be the case because he's a 6'5 player who, like you said, is probably the fifth wide receiver instantly on this team. Man, that, that may open up that roster spot for Andy Isabella because he has that durability. And unfortunately, Wesley was limited with a season-ending injury like his first two years in the league. That's always been... That and the fact that he, you know, he's a 4-6 guy. He's never going to get that true separation. But at that height, you know, you throw it up to him on a 5-10 cornerback and he's able to go in and be a play in the red zone. That's always kind of been who he is. Uh, it's fascinating to see, at least in camp, how Greg Dorch could almost instantly look better despite not being that second-round pick. Um, just from the way that he was able to read mentally and being able to make some of those tough catches, whereas Isabella same year in the league and he's still kind of that same guy of 
you'll throw the ball up and he'll catch it against his body in that same way and that's it's kind of at some point a guy kind of is who he is in the league and there's not as much room for development but I think right now it, it, with everything up in the air with Wesley I think Eddie's on this roster again I think part of that's because you can get that roster exemption for DeAndre Hopkins through those first six weeks. That's a big reason why I think unless someone's able to make a play as far as just being a returner, uh, we've seen it before. Eno Benjamin's been a kick returner before. I think that we'll probably see Isabella on the roster yet again. Whether he makes it to the end of the season, though, I think is something that remains to be seen. Uh, let's transition now talking a little bit with the running back spot. I know we can talk about corner to wrap up because I think that's the biggest area to dwell on. I feel like just from with camp, with Cliff Kingsbury, even more today, we got a little bit more news coming up. Like no one asked him the question. He just brought it up unabated. Eno Benjamin, to me, seems like he's secured that running back two role behind James Conner. And this is a guy who I never felt like he was that high-end talent as far as for, like, you're going to take in round one, round two, or round three. But in those mid-rounds, finding a guy who's got that type of tenacity, the athleticism, kind of like how Chase Edmonds was when the Cardinals found him out of Fordham, being able to carry the load if need be, but would be best as more of this third down pass catching back, kind of in that Gio Bernard, the Duke Johnson mold of these guys who they stick around for a decade or longer in the, in the league because they're reliable with their hands, they can make guys miss in space. He was a guy that people would be surprised may have not made the Cardinals roster his first year. He wasn't really a special teams player. I think a lot of it was someone could say is, you know, you talk about a guy reading his press clippings. We all thought he was going to be a fourth round pick. He falls to the seventh round and has to kind of work his way onto an NFL roster. By all accounts, everything we've seen, Cliff Kingsbury's talked about him, even in times where he's not asked about Eno directly. He's had other players have talked about him. He's kind of been the talk of camp as far as with Chase Edmonds going to the Miami Dolphins. He seems like he's about to take on a relatively big role for the Cardinals, which I think has surprised some people given that they just signed Darrell Williams to a one-year deal out of Kansas City. But with how everything Cliff Kingsbury has talked about, it feels like this is going to be kind of Eno's job to lose in the preseason. No, I, I think so. Um, and Eno, like you said, he he's going to fill that role that Chase Edmonds left. He's really shifty, uh, you know, in tight quarters. You know, he's got good vision. He's not the biggest guy, so he's he's got a more diminutive size. But, you know, what he's able to do, you know, with the ball in his hands, out of the backfield, he's a competitive runner, and he runs hard. Grant's uh, kind of with the you know little man syndrome with the chip on his shoulder. Like he, he he's a ta- he's a talented guy and he 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 complements what James Conner is much better than what Williams would do. Right? Williams mm-hmm. is more to me. Williams is not the like he could catch the ball in the backfield, but he's built similar um, to a bigger back that you want to kind of get the ball to running between the tackles. And I, I just prefer. Uh, what what Eno's going to be able to do because you can kind of come out with some 22 personnel and, and, and shotgun and motion Eno into the slot, get him matched up on a linebacker and let him run some quick hitting routes, some some quick whip routes and basketball outs and different things like that. And, and, and you think about the slants and shallow crossers and drag routes and put linebackers in chase and then just, like I said, giving Murray those easy run-after-catch throws where he doesn't have to do everything. He can get the ball out of his hand that helps protection, 
that helps the flow of the offense. So I think, you know, Benjamin should definitely be RB2 for this offense. Um, and then, of course, you know, James Conner went down. You you have Darrell Williams that if you want to make him the hammer between tackles, that's fine. But you keep, you know, Benjamin in that kind of change of pace, um, dual, dual threat, do it all type of yards from scrimmage back. Right. And that's something I think I know we talked about this when the last time you were on the ROTB pod with one of the other Cardinals players that they drafted in Keontae Ingram. Uh, We talked about how he's going to go up against Jonathan Ward, who's the Cardinals RB4, who's great in pass pro. He's got solid hands. You can look back to the Dallas Cowboys game last year with one of the NFL catches of the year on the back helmet of a special teams player. It was one of those spots where you're like, oh, that's a flag, you know, like the guy clearly interfered. And then they picked up the flag because they're like, hey, he caught it. So that's a 20-yard gain instead of a 15-yard gain. The biggest thing, obviously, is that's interesting from Ingram and getting to see him, at least with the red-white practice, is he looks the part. He's got a lot more burst and juice when he realized that his size is closer to James Conner and Daryl Williams at about that 225. He's showcased some hands, at least. There's a couple of higher throws that he's had for the most part. Um, It's going to be an interesting case because, like, if you trust Jonathan Ward to be that special teams player... I feel like right now I would almost keep Keontae Ingram on the roster because it doesn't feel like he's there yet to get a lot of carries or to have that trust. He's going to have to make a living on special teams. But I can't wait to see what he looks like in a year as far as maybe being in that running back three role. Someone gets hurt and suddenly we're talking about Keontae Ingram as like this, you know, fantasy beast because he's been able to showcase a three down running back type of uh, performance, at least similar to other backs we've seen in the past. It's going to be interesting because, like, again, do you only keep five wide receivers in in Cliff's scheme? Is there less linebackers? There's going to definitely be some camp battles, and we'll talk more about the 53 at least for each of those coming up uh, for the most part. Uh, as we kind of wrap up this part with the team section, uh, Damien, if you had to pick one, just one, we kind of agree. The Cardinals don't have a edge number one right now. That's basically J.J. Watt. <laughs> they don't have a corner one. Like there's a couple of guys that are available. They've brought some players in. You know, maybe Robert Alford wants to keep playing. If you can only pick one of those to sign, and we know that the Cardinals they like to keep about f- maybe four to five million dollars in reserve just in case they need to, you know, make a trade for someone, fit some cap space in, or sign some guys due to injury through the season. If you can only pick one, would you pick a pass rusher or would you pick a cornerback for the Cardinals, and why? I would pick pass rusher. I believe in building and attacking from the trenches first um, because I've seen defenses where you have good corners and a good secondary that can, that can, you know, handle receivers and route concepts and, but the pass rush isn't there. And it's like, those guys are hung out to dry because you can't, you can't get to the quarterback. So for me, it's like, uh, I'd rather go out and get a JPP and, or D four and get some 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 length and some explosiveness off the edge, and then if you think about JPP, I'm gonna be honest with you, I keep bringing that name up because he is still still productive. He can help you in the run game and as a pass rusher. But then you think about the impact that he would have as a tall, longer, bendy, explosive rusher for a guy like Maje Sanders, right? You could kind of, you know, teach him how to be a pro, how to read the leverage of offensive tackles in the NFL, how to carry weight and how to build his body composition, um, as well as a longer, leaner uh, pass rusher as well. 
that that he could teach him to stand up because of course he played a lot of five tech in in a four point stance at Cincy because they were in a three three five stack defense. Um, and they just didn't put him in the right positions to help him develop to head into the league. But I think a JPP would be very beneficial for the defense overall, but truly help, um, you know, Monte Sanders. So I would say edge um, because I think just getting some, being able to generate pressure with the front four, you can drop, you can drop the other seven, right? Like you can, you can drop seven and, and allow guys to, to have more guys in coverage and really get in the passing lanes and, and make quarterbacks hold the ball longer with more guys to, to, to account for. Yeah, I'll, I think I can tend to agree. We saw the Cardinals, at least last year, when they had that top-tier pass rush, were able to play more zone and got interceptions. Byron Murphy was averaging one interception per game up through the first six games last year. Um, but let me go ahead just for fun, take the devil's advocate approach and take a look at that roster. And let's say that Byron Murphy, and this is kind of, you know, knock on wood, anything, let's say that he has to miss time. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're looking all of a sudden at, okay, if Marco Wilson's already been banged up and he's had an injury history, is Antonio Hamilton going to be your number one cornerback who has to line up, you know, week one against, you know, a Juju (laughs) or one of those players? Or you got Devontae Adams coming in week two. So there is, I think, a level of looking at where the Cardinals were in last year, they did get down to like cornerback five and six. You know, Isaiah Simmons had to play some cornerback late when he wasn't really prepared for it. Um, but he was just one of the guys who was healthy. And the Cardinals gave up 38 points to the Seahawks because you can't really stop Russell Wilson with cornerbacks five and six. Like that, that's just kind of how it is for the most part. So to play maybe a little bit of devil's advocate, I, I think the best answer would be if they could find both it would be best but if you had to pick one i think at least i would trust the depth a little bit more at the pass rush you at least went out and addressed some of it like if marcus golden was to miss time you can put a myj sanders in if jj watt was to miss more time i at least feel like i could rotate maybe cameron thomas and just tell him to go get the quarterback he's obviously neither of those guys are near the level of those starters but if a byron murphy goes out for the most part then i think that maybe is the spot and that's probably why the cardinals are at least right now looking at the corner back all right uh that's gonna be as far as for right now we've got our last segment coming up on the rotb pod we'll talk about the upcoming Bengals game and we will look ahead to uh kind of a little bit of a draft talk we've got damien here in the house talking at least some draft uh as we kind of wrap up today's episode and here we're back for our final segment of the rotb pod uh, coming off hiatus it's been a big show thank you guys who've stuck it out with us for the this long we've got a cardinals Bengals preseason game coming up so uh before we kind of get into a little bit of just some kind of draft talk and again it's it's early obviously but you know we got damien here he works for the draft network so of course we'll be talking draft plenty on this podcast uh who would be one player that you had to pick out as far as the preseason game goes. And obviously, we're probably not going to see much Kyler Murray. I don't think we're going to see much of the starters for long. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury seems to have pulled back on his starters every single year playing. I think we'll get maybe a bit more next week against the Ravens for what's to be a nationally televised preseason game. But who are you watching specifically for this game against the Cincinnati Bengals for preseason, guys making the roster? What are you looking for? I think the, the one guy I'm looking for to seeing... Um, you know, of course, it depends on how much he plays. It's going to be outside linebacker, edge rusher that, that was drafted this year, Cam Thomas. Um, Cam Thomas was predominantly a hand-in-the-dirt 4-3 edge uh, for the uh, Aztecs defense. 
and he's listed more as not, he's listed now as an outside center outside linebacker, which is a difference for him, especially from his athletic profile. So I want to just see how I, I hope they give him a lot of snaps, Blake, because I just want to see him snap the snap. How does he? Because one of the biggest parts about playing football is learning from each snap that you've played, right? So it's like, how does he attack? How does he, you know, adjust? He plays, say he plays four or five drives, and it's, you know, seven, eight plays a drive or something like that. That's a good, you know, 40, 50. If he can get 40, 50 snaps in, you get to kind of see where he is from a mental standpoint, from a counter standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. So those are the things. That, that, that would be the one guy I would absolutely want to see um, this, this week against the Bengals is Cam Thomas and just see what type of rush package he has standing up. As to where he was in the had his hand in the dirt, um, attacking more of the inside gaps than, a, than mm-hmm. running around the edge of offensive tackles. For sure, yeah. So if I had to pick one person to watch here for this, man, I, I would probably say that I want to see if the Dort show is able to show up again, at least for that, because he's been the talk of camp. You want to see if that guy can carry it over into preseason, and he's going to get a lot of snaps, at least, as far as being at the end of the roster. He obviously, you know, had that big play against the, the Cowboys. Part of what I think you also want to watch for is that if Greg Dorch goes out and is able to, you know, make plays and be able to contribute in the preseason against an opposing defense, you know, if all of a sudden you're like, wow, Dorch just disappeared. He's not separating. He's not open. Well, that tells me a lot about what the Cardinals cornerbacks would be. If Greg Dorch is torching the Cardinals cornerbacks and getting stopped by the Bengals, suddenly you're like, oh, Greg Dorch, maybe it's been less that he's been doing great and more that the Cardinals cornerbacks have been really struggling. So I think that would be the one guy you want to be able to watch. But I think I'm also going to look at a MyJ Sanders. He's someone who obviously been the hawk of a lot of camp on the defensive side. If he's able to go off and show some of that pass rushing technique and you can see that the Cardinals may have found a fourth round gem, even if he never becomes maybe your primary edge rusher, if you're able to find someone who's able to be an impact uh, pass rusher, no matter what round that you find that in, that, that's something that is valuable. Uh, even with the Cardinals, Dennis Gardeck, you talk about how Dennis Gardeck, undrafted free agent, special teams guy, somehow just gets seven sacks when Chandler Jones goes down. Like the value that that brought to your defense, you, you can't understate that. So. Uh, and I think at least the, you know, we mentioned already, as far as other players, maybe these would be lower on my list, you know, can Marquise Hayes, the uh, guard out of Oklahoma, can he stick on the interior line? Uh, we know at least the Cardinals have really, from what I've heard from in camp, uh, they've really liked um, what they've seen so far from um, the other player coming out of uh, Virginia Tech, who's, oh gosh, see, this is where it is, the name um, uh, escapes me at least for now. Um, but he's the guy that they've been lining up at least some at center. And that's something that I'm very excited for, at least, um, because right now the Cardinals, their backup center is um, Sean Harlow. He's someone who he's sturdy, but he's not strong. You know, he's going to be OK. But right now it looks like that they're just not ready. It's uh, Lacidas. That's his name. Uh, Lacidas yeah, Smith, Smith, Virginia yeah. Tech. I think I'm interested to watch him, but I, I feel like that his issue is not going to be about whether he makes the roster or not. They like him enough that even though he's a sixth-round pick, I think that he's going to be on the roster this year. He's kind of your developmental center that you could have. Maybe you develop him enough in a year where you don't have to spend as much money or you could at least like him enough that he could compete maybe for that center job next season. He just, he's got to get some strength on him first. 
Um, I'm not as worried about him. It is Marquise Hayes is someone who I think you want to look at, those guys who are at the back end of the roster. So uh, those are some names to be able to watch. Now let's shift over and wrap up talking at some 2023 NFL draft. And so for those of you guys who have not been aware as far as are not following the draft, obviously the Cardinals right now have all of their 2023 first-round picks. Uh, we know that the Miami Dolphins will be without theirs coming up. Um, it's Mock Draft Monday is something that the Draft Network does drops a new mock draft pretty much every week this is your 1.0 your first mock draft you get to have essentially of um the nfl season it's always draft season as they say (laughs) for all that so why don't you walk us through a little bit of some of the players and picks and then you can even focus a little bit on who you selected for arizona as far as where they're at right now what their biggest need would be oh man um so when, you know, this was a fun. It was a fun exercise doing that mock draft, and of course, no games have been played. You know, things of that nature. It's a lot of storylines to be told um, and play out during the college season. But when I got down to Arizona, which you know, we didn't pick the draft order. It was more so done by bet online and their odds. Um, and um, so we we did with that, and I picked Oregon corner. Christian Gonzalez, he's 6'3", uh, 200 pounds, a, a, you know, just an explosive, explosive twitched up corner, very sticky in coverage. Um, he, he's topped it over, talked to one of the trainers that I know uh, personally, and he said, man, like he's gotten over 23 miles per hour when he's open, when he's at full speed, like, and that that's legit speed at the cornerback position. You think about the receivers that are in this position, in, in this division. Think about DK and Tyler Lockett, and and, and you got Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson, and now Allen Robinson. And you think about Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel over in, in San Fran. You need someone that can that has the length and, and and the movement skills to actually mirror and match these guys and stay in their hip pocket. So Christian Gonzalez is a name that a lot of people don't know just yet transfer from Colorado following one of his coaches over to Oregon. But this young man has all the physical tools and he's really sticky in coverage. I really like what I saw from him on tape. Um, and like I said, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot of different picks, you know, that, that, that could go eat so many different ways, man. Like I, I looked at a couple of different corners, like Caillou blue Kelly from Stanford. I thought about maybe go edge rusher if you know, and adding some more talent uh, to the defensive line as well but I definitely wanted to to make sure I was like I looked at who was available if Miles Murphy from Clemson had fallen to 15 that would have been the pick you know you put Miles Murphy uh, a big physical long-armed rusher who can convert speed to power who can snatch trap who can long-arm guys into the backfield and do the things that he's able to do set the edge in the run game Stand up for as an edge rusher as well. He, he's a very versatile guy. He, he's he's really good at, at so many different things, man. We're very well-rounded. Um, and he's a top 10 talent, in my opinion, um, in terms of, of, of pure talent at, at, at this draft, in this draft class. So he would have been someone I would have loved to put in Arizona, but I ended up, you know, he ended up going a couple slots early. Um, and, and I mean, you know, you, you look at a lot of different other positions. You know, wide receiver to me, it's not uh, – you could go there. You could think about wide receiver for, for Arizona, but in this wide receiver class coming in, there's going to be some depth, and I feel like you can get – let's focus on defense for once. 
You know, like one, let's focus on defense and I know, and let's get a corner. Like you passed on Greg Newsom Jr. Um, you know, last year when you drafted Zayvon Collins, and that was a I'm gonna be honest, that was a mistake. Greg Newsom Jr. was one of the best cornerbacks in the entire draft, and now he's over there locking guys up for the Cleveland Browns. That he should have been he would have been cornerback one for the Cardinals. So let's finally find one, and that's what I decided to go with with Christian Gonzalez. No, I think that's something that's good. And for uh, as far as the Cardinals go right now, it's like you said, they haven't really had as far as Patrick Peterson has left. That was kind of a spot where they didn't need to draft for a number of years to get a cornerback number one. Uh, we see something similar, at least, I think, with um, the likes of Larry Fitzgerald. You know, the Cardinals, when you look at how and the you know nature of their team, uh, they never needed to really draft a wide receiver. Uh, in fact, I would argue uh, that when the Cardinals, you know, drafted Michael Floyd, they kind of were hoping that he would be the heir apparent to Larry Fitzgerald. Of course, Fitz goes on and plays for eight more years after they draft Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd's like been out of the league or on the back end of rosters. So it's unique, at least, to be able to look at for where the Cardinals have been, where, like, you know, you can talk about with how it is with quarterback stability, tackle stability, pass rusher stability. You make a great point that the Cardinals have been set for Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson for a number of years. They don't have those guys now. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. And I think that re-signing DJ Humphreys cleared things up, I think, very much as far as if they hadn't had a left tackle, maybe you slide Josh Jones over there, get ready to pay him, bring someone else in, and then you're splashing your cash in free agency on some of those players and positions. Um, as far as the draft goes in general, um, I think that you're right as far as that these cornerbacks are something that it's a pretty talented corner group. Like, last few years, we haven't seen some of those guys go. Or if they did, I know that the Cardinals, for a long you know, period of time, there were people talking about the Titans corner, I think Caleb mm-hmm. Farley, who was, I think, more of a corner. He was more of, I didn't feel like the Cardinals were going to be as interested. He was always a cover three type of a corner versus they love to have, you know, some of those press man guys and more athletic types. And he had injury issues to boot. Um, Newsom was kind of the guy that people thought was maybe a bit of a reacher. I, like you, love Newsom. Felt like that he was one of those players I would have taken. You know, maybe the upside of having, you know, a Zayvon Collins is hopefully being kind of a star Mike in the middle of your defense. We'll see if that ends up coming to fruition in year two or maybe year three. Uh, but that does feel like when you look at the draft, it's always about when you draft a player in one spot, you always take a negative as far as for something else you could have drafted. Like you take an Isaiah Simmons, you get a defensive playmaker, you just pass on an offensive tackle, and you know you pass on a CD Lamb, which I was one of the people who argued over all that. You know, you take Lamb to pair with Hopkins, you're set. You know, at wide receiver for however right. many uh, years, yeah. um, or you know you go after the offensive lineman. You can take one of those guys. You at least then have your you know right tackle for a long period of time. You don't maybe need to pay DJ Humphreys a big deal. You end up getting an upgrade overall long-term. The Cardinals are in a spot, at least, where it feels like that your needs at the beginning of the season may not be the needs at the end of the season. Uh, you know, coming into this offseason, you could have maybe made an argument that the Notre Dame tight end could have been their top need because they had no tight ends under contract. Then they go out, sign two of them, and draft another. So suddenly, you know, that takes it off of the board. I think what's interesting is how this will compare to the rest of the draft because, as we know, when it comes to the, the NFL, the teams that need quarterbacks and the teams that don't always want to have more quarterbacks being drafted because it means more players will get pushed down the board to them. We saw, at least even in that 2000 and, uh, I should say, 2021 draft, it was Avon Collins 
Cardinals ended up having him. He was a top-ranked player on their board, falls to them because they see five quarterbacks go. The issue, of course, being Cardinals probably had 10 players ranked in their top 10 on the board, and of the five quarterbacks who went, all 10 of those guys filled each of those other positions with, I believe, Elijah Vera Tucker being that last top 10 talent. Jets trade up for him, get him at 14, so Cardinals end up going with Collins for the most part. Let's talk a little bit about the overall draft in general, because you've got, I think, at least in your first mock draft, four quarterbacks going, but none of them are going with the first three picks, which is very interesting. Uh, There's also obviously going to be some top wide receiver talent. I think you look at Georgia's defense as well. A lot of Georgia defenders went last year. There's more anticipated for this year, as well as some Bama defenders. What's kind of your spot as far as for like the overall draft talent, or maybe it's just looking at these quarterbacks, because a lot of teams, I think, are always out there looking to figure out, and not every one of these quarterbacks, despite it being sometimes a great class, we always know they, they never work out. Cardinals fans with Josh Rosen, we know that in particular. No, yeah, it, this this mock was, like I said, it was a lot of fun just from the simple fact that do I believe that four quarterbacks are going to go first round? No, I don't. Um, but it's just because it's – it's a lot that has to happen to get there, right? So it was more so just a little fun experience in projecting. Because at the end of the day, we know, like, I know, like, a lot of people believe that the NFL figured out their recipe on drafting quarterbacks last year. Yeah, don't believe that because they didn't. Like, last year's class, the, the best and the best prospect, truthfully, was Malik Willis, like, from a tool standpoint. Kenny Pickett was the most pro-ready. Matt Corral had some tools, but he's extremely raw and not ready. And Sam Howell put on a lot of bad tape in 2021. So this particular class, if things work out the way that people expect it to, there are a lot of options at quarterback and it's a lot of high-end talent and tools. Um, So, you know, like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, you have – um, you know, Jake Hayner at Fresno State and Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. So there's a lot of quarterbacks that could enter this class and really make things, you know, just haywire for teams. Like, okay, do I do I take this guy? Because there's no true – like, yeah, you got Bryce and CJ, but there's no true, like, elite quarterback prospect. that mm-hmm. Like we've seen, you know, even last year, right, when we saw in terms of just straight tools, you saw Trey Lance and Justin Fields and – Trevor Lawrence and even Zach Wilson, right? And it's like, then you've got on day two, the Texans being able to find something possible with Davis Mills in like the second, third round on day two. So it's like, you know, this class has a lot of a lot of talent, potential talent. It just depends on when guys declare. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's going to be intriguing to watch, man, because it's, it's all about projection and, and where these guys develop. If Anthony Richardson and Will Levis take the steps that – they're, you know, they're believers and us as evaluators hope they take, they can absolutely be first-round talents and top 15, top 10 talents. Um, to go with Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud. If they don't, then, you know, you got to think, can Tanner McKee be that guy? Can can, can some of these other guys step up and, and, and put themselves in that conversation? It's going to be intriguing, man. Like, it's just, uh, like, I, said, like I said earlier, it's going to be a, it's a lot of storylines that will be written and completed as we go through the season and we'll really get to see where things shake up once we get the uh, once the film comes out and we get to study these kids and find out more about their 
their current situations for 2022 during the season and uh, and their coaching staffs and the offense and what they're asked to do. It's, it's a lot of context that will be added. Absolutely. Yeah, especially watching, I think, that quarterback battle. It feels like right now it's a C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young, and we even have gotten, I think, to see a lot of that um, – quarterback battle for the most part at least just because of how Stroud played super well at least overall in their bowl game that they had and then of course you can talk about how Bryce Young in Alabama um, they were essentially able to only be stopped by maybe one of the greatest collegiate defenses we've ever seen at Georgia but he did at least win the Heisman this last year you know you got your 6-3 guy who hasn't run as much but seems to have the athleticism and a lot of weapons and then you got Bryce Young at Bama who probably is about the size of Kyler Murray and runs around like Kyler Murray, but he just doesn't have that same speed of Kyler Murray and still has taken some hits. So it's not like you said, like that we're looking at a Trevor Lawrence at the top of this year's draft, at least right now. So it'll be fun to see how that season plays out. It'll be fun to see how the Cardinals season plays out. Hopefully we won't be, you know, reaching week six. DeAndre Hopkins is coming back and, you know, we're already talking NFL draft because that's how the season started for the Cardinals. I don't expect that, but uh, you never know, at least here. We've had plenty of ups, plenty of downs on the ROTB pod. That'll be it. Thank you guys again for joining us for our uh, season-long kickoff. We'll be back here at least weekly is the plan for the most part, take you through the rest of the 2022 NFL season. Uh, for my co-host, uh, I am Blake Murphy7. Make sure, obviously, you're following Damien at DP underscore NFL. Uh, that's one of the places. Follow him, at least, on the Draft Network. And you got another podcast, I think, as well, if you want to be able to give yourself a shout out. The Talent Factor. Yes, sir. As well. Yeah. For all you college yeah, all you college scouting buffs out there who want to get more draft content that we just gave you here, the preview of an NFL season shows how much we love draft. It's all with draft season here on the ROTV pod. Uh, thanks again so much for tuning in, and go Cardinals.